Good morning. I'm going to ask Mr. Montgomery if he'll lead us in prayer. Uh, the topic that we're talking on is uh, ministering to inmates during a time of crisis. And prayer is essential. We have to have prayer. Without prayer, we can't do our job. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to bow our heads, O oh Lord, take a pause, O oh Lord, and reflect and to remind ourselves, O oh Lord, that you are in control of our lives, our very beings, our minds, O oh Lord. Help us to continue in your word and in your will and in your way. Be with the chaplain, O oh Lord, that he speaks. Be with each and every man and woman, O oh Lord, in this room with us. Help us, O oh Lord, to continue to build up the body of Christ, O oh Lord, and be an example to the flock, your flock, O oh Lord. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, reason I did that had a couple of meanings there. Mr. Montgomery, for three years, has been my inmate chapel assistant at Whiteville Correctional Facility. Recently got released in May, April. And together, we've done a lot of work. A lot of work that we do in the chaplain's office, I couldn't have done without Mr. Montgomery. We've baptized a lot of people. We've converted a lot of Muslims. But I don't do that on my own. My volunteers do that. Montgomery's been a very influential part of that. When I got my topic of ministering to the incarcerated during a time of crisis, my first thought was, why couldn't I get the gang unit? I want to talk about the gangs. <laughs> That's what we have in prison. That's what we have in church every service. We have gangs. But then as I got to thinking about it, I put it away, put it aside for a little bit. I said, what can I tell you that would help you or that would help assist you in what you're trying to do? How many volunteer in a prison right now? Quite a bit. Thank y'all very much. Y'all's work is what makes my work easier. I do rely on y'all. I rely on my workers. And I've been blessed with some very good workers. I'll give you a time when I'm not there all the time. Of course, they call me a lot. and They finally got to realize that when I'm not there, who's the best person to call in a time of crisis? He is, but not, not, not all the officers and, and, and staff you know, use that. That's who they called. Mr. Montgomery. Many a time at 11 o'clock at night, they come knocking on his door. Montgomery, we need you medical. Montgomery, go up to medical. Hey, we got this inmate here. Remember one time, 23-year-old guy, his brother just passed. Suddenly, young, young child. They come and got Montgomery. Montgomery went in medical and sat with him almost all night. Because of Montgomery, we didn't have to put that inmate on suicide watch. We didn't have to put him on one-on-one -on -one for 72 hours to make sure he wasn't going to harm himself. That's the advantage that I have for having good chaplain workers. The advantage I have to where I don't have to worry when I leave the facility, what am I coming back to? Now getting to our topic, let me ask you a question. What constitutes a crisis? What would you say constitutes a crisis? Anybody. Suicide. Okay, what else? Well, anything that's going on with someone that's abnormal for them is a crisis. Okay, death, anything abnormal? Shock. 
shock. Right. So now we're getting into a very broad topic of ministering to inmates during a time of crisis. Believe it or not, if an inmate gets out of the bunk on the wrong side, we've got a crisis. <laughs> uh, and believe me, and sometimes it's shut the facility down too. Okay. We just came off of lockdown. We started on lockdown December 7th. We came off of lockdown in the middle of January, spent three weeks off of lockdown, went right back into lockdown, came back up, back down, up, down. Finally, till the middle of April, we finally got out of lockdown. And what do you think is the only thing that would keep an inmate with having peace of mind? Going to church. And guess what we were not having? Chapel service. So you know how many inmates or cellies decided they were going to fight because they just couldn't take the pressure anymore? How many times my phone rang, Chaplain, I need you down here now. What's going Slow down. What's going on? Well, these two guys, I already know. They got frustrated. Okay? So anything can cause a crisis. So when do you believe crisis actually begins for the incarcerated? That's when, that's when it begins. That's when crisis starts. Why do I say that? Because crisis begins not only for the one being arrested. What if he has small children? What about his mom, dad, his grandma, grandpa? I can't tell you how many days I get phone calls from mom crying on the phone, wondering if their son's all right. First question I ask her, ma'am, do you watch the prison shows on TV? Oh, yeah, all the time. You got to stop. Stop. That's not a true, accurate depiction of what really goes on inside of prison. Does it happen? Yes, it does. But you got to stop. Then, by understanding those two questions, now you can start to sit there and say, okay, how can I minister to someone that's incarcerated, that's going through a crisis? Well, see, crisis starts, as we talked about, when as soon as they get arrested. Then they're going to face another crisis when they get to the jail and they get booked. Get the picture taken, the mug shot. It's for real. It's not just going to the police station, we're going to let you go. Then we're going to put them inside a cell and shut the door. And sometimes you've been down to 201 Poplar, there's more than just one or two people in there, too. Now you're going to fend for yourself. What kind of crisis do you think we're putting on them now? The cycle continues. We're going to get them into intake. We're going to decide what facility we're going to send them to. Anybody in here familiar with Northwest? Complex up in Northwest Tennessee? Their nickname for a long time, and it's gotten better, their nickname was Thunderdome. That's where you didn't want to go because there were fights, gangs, activities, just nonstop. Thunderdome, okay? I was in here with, with uh, Mr. Gupton. Mr. Gupton used to be the commissioner or assistant commissioner of TDOC. He used to actually be one of our bosses. 
then he came down to Memphis. They worked very hard to get that stereotype and that tag off of Northwest to where it's more, but that's what everybody know, knew it by. Now you gotta sit there and realize not everybody handles conflict the same way. This is partly why I've got my degree in conflict resolution. I am a chaplain, I'm a minister. I tell people my job is basically I'm a firefighter. I put fires out. That's my job in the prison. Staff has conflict with each other. It's my job to go try to put it out. Inmates have conflict with staff. I need to really try to get that put out real quick because we do have assaults. We do have assaults on staff. So we want to try to defuse the situation as quick as we can. And then, of course, you have inmate on inmate conflict. Okay. Now keep in mind, we have about 1,500 inmates, male inmates from 18 to way out there. Uh, I mean, we have inmates that die in prison just for old age, and it happens regularly. So crisis is handled by two different people. Like I, I like to tell when I do my volunteer training, you got to think of it like this. We can all watch a fight transpire. And we've seen a lot in the news, right? A lot of issues. But we all have a different perception of how things started, how they transpired. Crisis, in my opinion, from my working in the, the prison system, everybody perceives a certain instant different. Well, I have to tell someone their mother died, their grandmother died. Um, believe it or not, uh, a family pet died that's 20 years in the family, but they don't handle it the same way. Here's what I have to do in prison to start before I even minister to the person coming to me. About where that door is to here is about from the chapel door, from the hallway to my office. I have that amount of time to assess him, to see what's going on before I even begin to try to handle what's going on. I've got to quickly come up with, okay, he's walking very hurriedly, fists are pumped. I have to sit there and look at this stuff because it makes a difference on how I handle somebody. I don't handle somebody the same way, okay? Factor in gangs. Most of everybody at Whiteville is affiliated. Out of 1,500, probably 900 are affiliated. That means they're affiliated to some kind of gang capacity. How would you think would be the best way to handle that? Do you think you could sit there with a known gangbanger sitting in front of you and sit there? How would you approach him? With kid gloves. Okay. That's what has to happen. There are some inmates that I don't have to do that with. There are some that will come in there and I start telling them bad news and they'll start crying. Just let it all out. There's some that have that stereotype, I can't cry in prison. That's the guy I worry about. Because how's he releasing his emotions? How's he releasing, is he gonna go down and is he gonna assault the first person he sees? What's he gonna do? So I have to take all that in consideration. Let me give you this one right here. A known, 
gangbanger. He's very high ranking in the state. I mean, he had some high ranking. He could call a hit on anybody he wanted to at any time. I'd call him down there and tell him his mom died. I got in touch with our gang coordinator. I said, hey, I said, uh, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm, she said, why? I said, I've got to tell such and such that his mom died. She was right there in a heartbeat, okay? Why do I do that? She has a better rapport than I do with him, okay? I try to put people in their place that has a better connection that could sit there and talk to them even though I'm the chaplain, it has to happen, okay? Uh, try telling a guy his two-year-old child died, whom he's never seen but in pictures, because he caught a charge when his wife was pregnant. That's the worst thing I've ever done in my life. I have a 24, 17, seven and four-year-old, and I have to look across from this guy right here and tell him, look, you're never going to see your child again. You're never going to see your child at all. That's difficult. That's difficult. So how would you handle that? You know, you ask yourself, well, it may not happen to me. I'm just a volunteer. The thing about volunteers is these guys will flock to anybody and anybody who cares for them and shows any interest. I've got two volunteers in here, and they do that. Because families don't care. We talked earlier about burning bridges in another session. You know, families are so embarrassed. See, this is another part of the crisis. It's not just the inmate that's going through the crisis. It's the families as well. And so now you've got this ball of fire, this bomb waiting to happen. Montgomery, how's your family support while you were in there? Okay. What that mean to you? It meant a lot. Knowing that you could, um, you know, receive a letter or a phone call, you know, being able to receive a visit, you know, it helps you, uh, helps you keep it together. You see guys that's come in my office several times that the family left or they didn't have any family. How was their behavior typically in the prison? And those are usually the guys that we have the most difficult time trying to reach because they've lost all trust in everybody and anybody. That's where a lot of our issues come from. Now, how do we reach them? How do we minister to them? That's where Montgomery came in a lot because Montgomery was one of them. He was able to talk to them in ways that I couldn't. I understood, but I didn't. I didn't understand what it was like to have the gate shut behind you to go into your housing unit. We're telling them when they can get up, when they can shower, when they can eat, go to rec, what they can uh, order off commissary. We dictate everything to them. And one of the new things that's causing crisis is now they have to go through inspection every day. That means the wardens walk around and they're standing by their door in a military fashion their beds have to be made, their clothes have to be folded in a certain way, and if not, they lock them down. They lock them down for a day. 
that causes a lot of crisis. Okay? We have crisis with not getting a job. You know, we've got several inmates. <coughs> Chaplain, I'm getting ready to get out. Can you help me? Where are you going to? Well, I'm, I'm, well what about your family? Well, Chaplain, I, they just, they were too embarrassed. I said, you know, why do you burn the bridge? You know, that's the reality of it. Most of the time, these guys burn their bridges and they don't know how to build it back. Start by saying, I'm sorry. Don't ask for money. Quit telling them to put money on your books. You're asking them for a phone card and yet you're not even calling them, you're calling someone else. That's the reality of it. And now they're in so much crisis, they're getting ready to get out and they have no idea what they're gonna do. Chaplain, I'm getting ready to be homeless. What can you do? I don't have a lot I can do. I mean, that's the reality of it. That's the crisis that these guys are facing inside and when they get out. Montgomery. I talked to him too before I... Who's Montgomery? He's been out since April. You found a job yet? Home? Crisis. Crisis doesn't stop when they get out to prison. Sometimes crisis just begins even worse. So we're trying to sit there and help them stay focused. Policy used to have it to where we couldn't have any contact with him for a year. Till next April, we couldn't have any contact with any inmate that got out. Does it make sense? We're trying to help them get out and stay out. We're creating more crisis by doing that. I got a call, it was a Tuesday before Thanksgiving, about two years ago. I got a call to go to medical. When I walked in medical, I said, what's going on? You need to see Zenmate in Medical 3. I said, why? Well, he's fixing to die. First question out of my mouth is, why are you telling me this now? Why now? How, when, when's he gonna die? They said he could go now. I went back in there when I opened the door. I had to take a step back because when I looked at him, he looked like a picture right out the Holocaust. I saw every bone, there was nothing. I was so mad that they waited until now to call me. I went in, grabbed a chair, sat down, tried to talk to him the best I can. He was on morphine. Anybody on morphine knows that you're in and out. I sat down, I called him by his nickname. I said, hey, what, what's going on? He said, I'm getting ready to die. I said, are you ready? He said, no. He started crying. Knowing there really wasn't a whole lot I can do at that point. I stayed there, I prayed with him. I read, I said, what's your favorite verse? What's your favorite chapter in the Bible? Let me read to you. So I read to him some. He started going out. He came back to I said, listen, I said, I'm gonna come back and see you tomorrow. Tomorrow came, same situation. Prayed with him, read to him, 
So I'll come back and see you tomorrow. I came in Thanksgiving Day. I went into medical. I said, no, I can make it through the night. He died that night. No family. No nothing. I had to bury this inmate with no relatives, no friends, nothing. That's crisis because it took a toll on everybody else in there. It took a toll on other inmates. It took a toll on staff. It took a toll on me. He's not the only one. We had an inmate there a couple months ago. He was sitting there eating breakfast, had a heart attack, went straight down, face down in his tray, died right there in the chow hall. Every inmate that was in the chow hall was in crisis. And it took us a long time to try to calm everybody down. That's crisis. That's what we face when we get into prison. That's some of the things that we deal with on a daily basis. Then trying to deal with the family members of those that do have family. Trying to explain why someone just had a heart attack and died that morning when they just seen them a couple weeks ago. We had an inmate in visitation a few months ago with his family and as they left Saturday night, the last time we'll ever see him again, they were hit by a car, killed them all. He's in crisis. Yes, sir. All right. So he's, he's now in crisis. He's not going to get over that that quick. I have to check on him regularly to make sure he's all right. We had to put him in suicide watch. We had to sit there and put him on 24-hour watch for 72 hours. That's the crisis we deal with. Anything that displaces a normal or regular pattern or behavior will put an inmate in crisis. And it doesn't matter if they have to lose somebody, if, you know, it could be they lost parole. That's, that's one of the regular things. Parole puts them off. That's heartbreaking. I've had inmates come in and say, Chaplain, I'm going home in two weeks. Okay, good, good. What are you going to do? He'll give me a nice plan. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. Two weeks he comes back in, madder than a hornet. They're not going to let him out. Parole board denied it. What do you do? When these gangs get at odds with one another and try to take advantage of one another or try to get revenge on one another, isn't that some of the worst things that you have to deal with? It is. It is. And it's not just that. It's if you try to stand on your own in prison and not join a gang, they're going to try to extort you. They're going to try to do everything they can. They're going to charge you rent. And, and it happens. 
I wish it didn't, but it does. You're dealing with people that are in there for murder, rape, but we also have guys in there for not feeding the dog, can't stop at stop signs. They're in the penitentiary. How many of you can't stop at a stop sign like do the rolling stop? That's right. We've all done that. That's what they're in there for. The guy that didn't feed his dog, the court transcripts, he was gone for two weeks, left the dog with a neighbor. The neighbor didn't feed the dog, and when he came home that day, they were there picking him up. Animal neglect. Crisis. But that's the system. The system's failed, and now the system has put everybody in crisis. It affects the inmate. It affects the family. Everything you, we have guys, I'll give you another example. We had a guy made parole. Did everything he was asked to do, got out, got a job, doing construction. Well, we all know construction has tools and saws and he was eating lunch in his car on the job site. Parole officer pulled up. He was making a sandwich with a butter knife. Guess who came back to jail for violation? What kind of crisis do you think? He was supporting his family. He was a good father. And now he's back in the penitentiary finishing out his time. Crisis. It happens every day. Crisis is there. So you have to ask yourself, how am I going to minister to them? I don't minister to the same, I don't use the I don't have a pattern. I can tell you what I do, but I wouldn't suggest what I do. All right? A lot of why I got away with doing what I did was because he was in the office. Now, if you haven't seen Montgomery stand up, I'm not intimidating by myself. But when he's there with me, but he had a lot of respect with inmates, and they respected him. Yes, ma'am. So who's going to take Montgomery's place? <laughs> 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 that was my version of Mr. Clean, was Montgomery. Now it's a guy that has a very long ponytail, and we call him Willie Nelson. Uh, but he, lay, he helped lay a lot of ground for us, okay, because of that respect, a gangbanger come in, tell him, look, you know, your mom passed away, you start crying. Once he opens the door for me, believe me, I'm going to step on him as hard as I can, as hard as he'll let me. I'll ask him, well, who's putting money on your books? Who's taking care of your family? You know what their answer is? Nobody. The same people that they gave their life, they're incarcerated, they gave their life for, are not even helping support their family. So that does a lot of crisis within the gangs. We have people that try to drop their colors. They try to get out of gangs. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. They usually wind up beat up, medical, that's part of life. I will tell you this. 
one of the trends we have now is uh, the vice lords. It's in their bylaws that in order to get out of the gang, you basically have to be beat out unless you join one of the Islamic groups in prison. So my Nation of Islam and my Sunni Muslims are two of my biggest groups now because guys are trying to get out of the gangs without, that's right, without getting beat up. How much crisis do you think they're in on a daily basis? Knowing that they have to walk the same halls these guys are. Constant anxiety. It is. And it's constant with us. It's constant with staff. Okay? One of the hardest things I have to deal with is when I go home, I have to sit there and deal with my family. Remember, I have a seven and a four-year-old. I have days where I just don't even want to get around them because I'm so worked up. I've got so much emotion stirred up in me because of what's gone on. I've let my work overtake some of my life at times because I'm so caught up with it. Because it hurts me when I see an inmate have nowhere to go. It's nothing for me to get on the phone, construction for 18 years. I get on the phone and say, hey, I got a guy fixing to get out in your area. Can you help me? Well, what can he do? He can't do anything. He'd clean up. You could teach him. That's what my life was outside of the prison walls. And I had to stop and back up because I was actually starting to lose my family. So crisis started affecting me as well and my family. I almost lost my family putting too much in. So I had a balance. So when we minister to those that are incarcerated, you have to have a balance. Prayer is essential. Without prayer, it's not going nowhere. Prayer life is, is that's number one. Funny story, kind of. Inmate came in, he was Aryan. Well, you know, Montgomery, he's the farthest thing from being white. Arian comes in, and I have to give him some bad news. I said, Montgomery, won't you lead us in prayer? We stood up. We held hands. And I smiled big because that inmate gave his life to Christ because of what we did and how we treated him. He realized that what he was doing was not right. When I have chance to do that, so we don't, we don't have a set way to handle crisis. So when I saw my topic, I was like, wow, there's, there's no formula. You have to learn how to be a people person. You have to learn how to read people. You have to learn how to meet them where they're at because they're not going to sit there and meet you where you want them to. One of the beauties of being in prison is the harvest will come to you. You don't have to go looking for them. They will come running to you every day all looking for somebody to help somebody to listen that's all you got to do that's right that's all so ministering to the incarcerated is really not hard it's really not hard there's no magic solution but you've got to be there for them 
You know, one of the cliches I hate the most is, is everybody says, well, we could be in there right with you. Well, it's true. When I was 13, I had some of the most stickiest fingers that ever, let me tell you. Remember the vinyls, the 12-inch? I could put one in my back shirt and walk out the store, and you'd never see it. Okay? Until I got caught, and they took me to juvenile hall for a week, and that scared me enough. Not everybody has that mindset. We've got guys in there that that's all they've known, 18-year-olds that know nothing else. Because what's happening is, let me back up. I have three sets, two sets. I have a grandfather, a father, and a son, two times in there. I have several father and sons. I've got several sets of three brothers or more incarcerated in our facility. That's all they know. And this is what's happening. Guy has a five-year-old, six-year-old. Gangs are going to him, little man, come here. Hey, little man, where's your dad? He's in prison. Hey, listen, come here, come here. We got you. Hey, come hang out with us. It's over with. Guess who's coming to prison? And it happens on a regular basis. That's how I have so many father and sons incarcerated where we're at. A lot of times the father come up and say, Chaplain, I need to talk to my son. Well, what are you going to talk to him about? Well, uh, he made some bad choices. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they just got set up. All right, come on. Call him down in there. Hey, your, your dad wants to talk to you. What do you think the first thing out of dad's mouth is? Not quite. You know what my response back before the, the son even responds back? He followed your example. He followed your example. Now what are you going to tell him that he doesn't already know that he learned from you? Because who's taking care of mom out there? See how sad this gets? Crisis happens every day in prison. It's an ongoing process. That's right. It's choices. Choices put us in crisis. If you choose to go down Interstate 40 doing 80 miles an hour and it says 70, you just made a choice to possibly get caught, to possibly get a ticket. There's consequences to every choice we make, some good, some bad. These guys are bad poker players. They tip their hands at everything they do, okay? And I'll use my Nation of Islam as an example. All the vice lords go to Nation of Islam. Every vice lord in the compound goes. Then I have some Crips, some Bloods, some gangsters, 
And you know these don't mix, they're oil and vinegar. When things are quiet in the, the, the chapel service, we got problems. We got problems. When guys that normally are very outspoken, or you got problems when they get quiet. I go to chow hall, I could watch an inmate. Hmm, he's not saying nothing in line. He'll come through and say, man, what's going on? I said, you get done. I said, we need to go to the office. I can find out a lot of information by getting him away from everybody else because something's going on. How many times it got quiet in the chow hall? Scary, huh? Makes my skin crawl to where I want to run. That's some of the crisis. That's what you're putting somebody in a position to where some of them don't even need to be in. Some of these guys need to be locked up. Some of them don't need to get out. But there are a lot of guys in there that shouldn't even be in there in the first place. We've taken them away from their families. And now the courts are saying, hey, you've got back child support. You're going to pay back child support. How's he supposed to pay that? When he gets out of prison, guess what? He's got a warrant on him for not paying child support. How's he supposed to pay child support in prison? How are they supposed to pay child support if you can't get a job? The cycle never stops. It never stops. That's our problem. That's where we got guys coming back. They know nothing else. We have a revolving door in a penitentiary because there's lack of hope. There's very little hope to get out. They know this. We know this. No matter what we try to do and what programs we try to put out, it doesn't matter. When they lose hope, it's over with. I would think that some crisis would arise by things happening with their family and that they cannot do anything about it. Things that need to be done by them, things that need to be fixed unruly children or whatever it, it, the crisis may be outside causes the crisis for them inside. Right. So as a child and, and you have a, a, an incarcerated parent, how are you going to parent to that child on the phone? There again, look at the example you just set. Okay. <clears throat> Eventually, something's got to give. Our facility, as well as every facility across the state, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of tension because of all the change that's being put in place. We make them change everything every month. Compound that with family issues. Compound that with other issues. Family calling them up saying, hey, uh, yeah, we, we may have to file bankruptcy because how are they supposed to handle family business from behind bars on a phone? The crisis doesn't stop. There's a lot of things we could talk about as far as crisis goes. But when a person gets arrested and those last handcuffs click, that's when crisis begins. And it doesn't stop when they leave the prison. Crisis just begins for some at a difference. I want to show you something. 
This was told me, and I really like this. I wish this was mine. I can't take credit for this. I don't write well, by the way. We know what this is, right? Okay. For every preach, you have what? That's right. For every reach, you have an each. What's left? There you go. I wish that was mine. I can't take credit for that. For every preach, you have a reach. For every reach, there's an each. And for every each, you have an ache. That applies not just to the guys in the prison. That applies to us, too. Sad, huh? Everybody hurts. The scriptures that I read, it's for everybody. Just because they're incarcerated doesn't mean that they're not capable of salvation. They're not capable of hearing the gospel. That's where it's very important. If you do not volunteer to prison, please, you don't have to go to prison. Go to a jail. These guys will enjoy having you. Yes, ma'am. Since you work with all the different groups, how do you, because I counsel at the women's prison, and I, I pray before I start to do anything. So, and I don't, I don't deal with different gangs and all that, but how do you, because I get women, and they're in gangs too, but how do you do that and not preach? I mean, pray. I can't start doing anything unless I pray with them first. You can't do that, can you? Well, that's, but I want to know. Yes and no. Okay, that's my answer. I can't. I have Wiccans, for okay. an example. I do have a few self-proclaimed atheists. Mm -hmm. I have to ask them, hey, can I pray with you? If they say no, it's over with. Okay. But that's where I linked on. Montgomery said, hey, go get them. <laughs> what are they going to do, lock them up, fire them? <laughs> There's ways around that. Okay. By law, I'm bound until they open the door. Right. When they open the door, we're going to bust through. And we've had a lot of good results. We've had a lot of good results doing that. And I, I joked with Montgomery, said I'm going to get him violated so he come back, but I'm not <laughs> going to do that. Yes, sir. I'm a chaplain at Shelby County Division of Corrections, and I have inmates all the time. Can you pray with me on for me? That's right. That's why I said. They're going to come to you. The harvest is coming to you. You don't have to go looking. Most of these guys have a religious background. I don't have time to go into it, but there's reasons why guys choose to be Wiccan. They choose Nation of Islam, Rastafarian. There's reasons behind that. Most of them have a good Christian upbringing. All right, any more questions? Yes, ma'am. I hear you speak about the prison system and what's going on. And what's that place for? I know we have the 
what is, goes along with the prison ministry that can reach those children, I should say, that are in bad situations, keep them from going into a worse situation? There's not a lot out there. We actually have one of my volunteers, his name's Verdell Smith. He's also a police officer down here in Memphis. And he does his best. He has a nonprofit that tries to go after these kids without or with incarcerated parents. And he just had a seminar in March that had about 150 children in the seminar. Uh, there's just not a lot. Somebody needs to really come up and, and try to reach these kids. It's, it's sad, but they're going to follow the footsteps. Anything else? Thank you all very much.